Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. Welcome to another Thursday morning of political talk. And we are here with special guest slash co-host, Philip Goldfeder, now the newly minted assistant vice president for government affairs at Yeshiva University, my alma mater, Happy to be a graduate of Yeshiva University. Phil, welcome back to the program. It's good to have you back and good to have you off the government dole. Yeah, it's uh, amazing to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me here. And of course, the Nachum Siegel Network for hosting. Uh, it is very, very exciting to be here, to be a part of this program, but also to be a part of a larger dialogue about what's going on in today's news and, and politics across the city and state. And so... Oh, and the country. The don't don't forget about the country. It's, I mean, it's a big country out there. I say that on the eve of a very big day in Washington tomorrow as we bring in a whole new member, a bunch of new members of Congress. Yes, we do. And let's just you know talk about the big story of 2016, uh, and you know so many political stories. But I think the biggest one is the fact that you retired from the assembly. <laughs> uh, you know, Donald Trump aside, obviously. But uh, you know, how is that transition going right now for you to going? And and why after a five year rise to superstardom in the New York State Assembly, are you uh, going for the greener pastures of the private sector? And you could tell, Michael, uh, a true friend of, of elected officials, we're starting the show, you may, you're allowing me to talk about myself. That's uh, exactly what we'd like to do here. So I've had a, a very long... This is a vanity project. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm very excited and, and it was my greatest honor to serve uh, in every capacity. I've had a long career in public service, as, as you know, in the city council, uh, for Mayor Michael Bloomberg, for Senator Chuck Schumer. Uh, the last five years as a New York State Assemblyman, it's been my greatest, greatest honor and pleasure. And I've always joked uh, that I serve at the pleasure of my wife. And uh, quite frankly, it's, you know, we all do serving in, in doing, you know, performing public service is a is challenging balance uh, in serving your constituents, serving uh, the people you work for, but also making sure you're, you're, you're serving your family and your own uh, and your and your most important constituency. And so uh, it's it's a very it's a challenge. Um, and I thought at this point. Number one is I was looking, I think, for a new challenge, and, and number two is was a time to to, to refocus, find some, uh, uh, take my energy and, and put it into a place where I think uh, I could really make considerable changes and, and a big difference. And I'm excited about my transition to Yeshiva University. Okay, so the one thing politically about, I, I guess, what I want to understand is you represented a very interesting district for New York City as a Democrat, but it's a conservative district. It's not necessarily a district that, for the assemblies who elected Republicans, but it's a, I say, a conservative-leaning district. I don't know if, if your assembly district went for Donald Trump or not. Uh, it may have, certainly there are a lot of Trump pockets within within the district, uh, not just the Orthodox community, but also, you know, you had Irish, Catholic, you know, Trump voters. And, you know, as we look back at 2016, we looked back about, I, look, I'll, I'll say it, surprise election of uh, of president. Uh, not just that Trump won, but that Hillary lost, and that she did particularly poorly in some of these areas. Uh, that many of them who probably voted or would have voted for you, but then voted for Donald Trump, uh, you as a Democrat. There is this talk that the Democrats have lost the white working class, and how do they get back to that? And you know, if that's kind of as from going from 2016 to 2017, if that's the big question politically. You know, for you as a, as a Democrat, 
you know, I don't know what kind of Democrat you want to call yourself, but as a, as a Democrat, member of the Democratic Party, how does the party move forward with those types of voters? Uh, I like to think of myself as a pragmatic Democrat, you know, uh, a Democrat that likes to get things done. You know, I, I don't think this year's results in the presidential were a big surprise. If you look back at 2008, uh, President Obama won my district. I, I have to get used to saying my former district. Okay, it's, it's still it's still yours. Yeah, the new the new person has not yet been sworn in, so it's at this point it's still yours. Uh, so I, uh, President Obama won in 2008 my uh, old district, 52 to 48 um, percent. No big surprise. Donald Trump uh, lost my district with 40 only 48 percent. And so when you think about you know, New York City districts, that's uh, quite a big deal, right? You know, Donald Trump beat, uh, only lost by Hillary, oh, to Hillary Clinton by a, a few percentage points. And so, yeah, that gives you a sense of the kind of communities I represented, uh, middle class, working class people who I think don't necessarily have a particular ideological bent. I think they're concerned about the community, about about sort of their well-being and about preserving the middle class and, and their way of life. You see that from Far Rockaway to Breezy Point to Howard Beach. Um, and I think it is always a challenge in districts like mine to uh, to sort of figure out, is it Democrat, is it Republican? I think that most people don't, um, it sort of goes the way the country goes. I think there's 20% who people believe uh, who are lean conservative. There's 20% of people who lean uh, a liberal. And then there's 60% who will work with anybody to try and get something done. And I, I used to pride myself on, on my ability to, to walk into very conservative strongholds. Um, as a Democrat from, from Rockaway, I, I would spend a lot of my time in Breezy Point speaking with families, not about Democratic ideals or Republican ideals, but how do we make our community stronger for the future? And I think Donald Trump, President-elect Donald Trump, found a way to tap into that feeling of it's not about right or left or this ideology or that ideology. It's about finding ways to, to, to make our country great. And so I think people bought into that. And, and I think uh, it's going to be an interesting few years as we move forward. But why do they think that Democrats can't make the country great? Why did people think that Hillary Clinton was going to make the country great? There was especially people in New York. Well, look, forget about New York. Let's just talk about this idea that the Democrats and, and you ran, you know, running for election is about putting together the coalition of voters that's going to get you to 51%. I think that that's, you know, that's the key. And this idea was that, well, this is a new emerging majority for the, re, for the Democrats. You know, they can't lose because the country's becoming less white. It's becoming all the demographics that one would expect to be in the Democratic coalition. And yet they fell short. Uh, not necessarily in the popular vote, but fell short in putting together that coalition in places where it mattered. And as a person who's run for office in the past as a Democrat, but having to put together a similar type of coalition uh, or groups of people. I mean, you've had challenges in the past. You had Republican opponents and who kind of who came at you in a similar way to Trump going at Clinton, um, not necessarily in the same manner, but they came came at you from from the right and you managed as you know to put together a message that resonated with those voters uh, i think you know some of them being similar to those in you know pennsylvania wisconsin michigan uh you know being the working class what, what is it do you think you know as we look back that that clinton missed and the democrats missed look, there, there's a fundamental difference between ideological beliefs even advocacy beliefs and actually governing right when you're an advocate right, right. you can you can take your message as far as you want to take it, but when it comes down to actually when you're in government, 
you actually have to get you have to get things done. Right? You have to prove accomplishments for your constituents, for the city, for the state, for the federal government, which is, I think, a perfect segue is you take a look at what's happening right here in the New York State Senate. In the New York State Senate, we're, we're seeing was was announced this week that uh, the, the Independent Democratic co- uh, Conference is going to um, conference and work together with the Senate Republicans, keeping essentially the Republicans in charge of the House with the Independent uh, Democratic Conference. And so what you're seeing is two independent entities coming together, sort of arguably with different ideological beliefs, but saying that we're going to find ways to work together. And I think that people respect that. People understand it. People respect it. It's It, it takes politics out of where people turn the TV off or turn the news off, right? Sadly, too often people hear the word politics or see a story about it and will turn the page or, or turn the knob. I think this is the kind of politics or the kind of governance that people like. Democrats, Republicans, finding ways to work together. And this is Spin Class. We're here with Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we're talking a little 2016 year in review. Looking forward to 2017. And we're just talking about the different dynamics that... Uh, it infected or I would say also uh, made our politics more dynamic over the course of the past year. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that coalition, that would seem to be a, and I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing because I think that as you, as you see, I mean, the, the New York State Republican Party is a more moderate party than than a lot of the, or particularly state Senate Republicans are more moderate, and the IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference, are a more moderate wing within the Democratic Conference. I mean, if I can characterize it as such, um, but what we've seen a little bit is a is that's a practical governing coalition. Uh, it seems that voters don't want, or at least in the presidential race, uh, or didn't want, because, look, they returned, the voters around the country returned majorities, Republican majorities in the House and the Senate. It was expected that the United States Senate was going to go Democrat, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. But it seems that the biggest motivating factor among, amongst many voters was kind of blow up the whole place. And uh, just, you know, get rid of everybody. We don't want anybody. I think the biggest message that worked for Trump against Clinton was, you know, she's been in politics 30 years. If you don't like what's going on, then throw them all out. Um, you know, so uh, so what do you say as a as retiring reformed politician to that <laughs> to, to, to that idea? You know, look, everybody wants to throw you out. Right. But they like. But if you were to run, you would have been reelected. Correct. And if you take a look at it, you know, people talk about how they and and I don't know what the the latest numbers are, but historically this has been the case where people will say how they hate Congress or they hate the assembly, but they love their congressman and their assemblyman. And so, you know, there's a a broader messaging problem that that needs to be worked on both sides. Right. To, To figure out how do you how do you crack that nut? You know, I I think I would have if I would have run for re-election, um, I, I think I would have uh, been re-elected with an overwhelming majority, regardless of where my district would have went in the presidential or any of the other elections. And so, I think that's because I spent the last five years working very very hard, whether it was in conservative home base in in Breezy Point or Howard Beach or or Democratic bases in Ozone Park and, and across Rockaway. And so you've got to find a way to cut across it. And and, and I, look, you know, and to, to sort of to, to jump, a little disclaimer is I did work for Senator Chuck Schumer. Ah, well, we're going to get to him. Yeah, and, and I, and sorry if I'm, I'm jumping. A bit. I, I didn't want to label you as a Schumer Democrat. So, but, <laughs> and I, I didn't want to be proud to be a Schumer Democrat. Okay. I, you know, 
Chuck Schumer, you know, I learned some of the greatest lessons in, in governance uh, and politics from Chuck Schumer. But take a look at 2004. You know, Chuck Schumer won his first election against Senator D'Amato in 1998. And 2004, arguably, was the first test for a re-election. Chuck Schumer won 61 out of 62 counties in New York State. How does a, a arguably liberal Democrat from Brooklyn when Chautauqua County or Shemung County or all these counties, which are very conservative. Look at you showing your upstate <laughs> proficiency. Um, uh, we, uh, but how does how does a liberal Democrat from New York do that? And because he visits all 62 counties exactly every single year. Right. That you, you hit it on the head because he cared regardless of, of what he, what was going on in Washington, regardless of what was going on across the state. He cared about the local jobs, right. the local transportation, the local. He showed up as like Hillary County. Hillary didn't show up in Wisconsin. She didn't go. It's, and, and that's why I think this is a perfect time because I think if there's anybody who's going to unite and, and work, find ways to work together, it's it's a guy like Chuck Schumer, right? Chuck Schumer has the ability to work on both sides. Now, he's proved it time and time again, not just in New York State, but when it came to immigration and, and working with, with, uh, with Senators McCain and, and so many others on so many issues, whether it was, uh, whether it was the financial troubles that we were going through or, or immigration or jobs or, or so many different issues, he's proven his ability to work with both sides of the aisle to get things done. And, and you've read the articles that I've read where you know, most of the work gets done in the, in the Senate gym when, where the right. senator goes just to, to, to talk to colleagues. Right. He doesn't limit his conversations just to Democrats or just to Republicans. You go, you're, you're there to find ways to work together. So I'm not sure if it's premature to put Clintonism to bed and to put the Clintons to bed. Um, but I think to a certain degree, and no, it might be. I don't want, you know, I, I never like. He sees me shaking my head. I'm I never, not sure. I never like, well, I, I was to say, this is radio. So the fact that if you're making gestures to the, you can either say, <laughs> you have to actually, you have to actually express yourself. Uh, nodding is not a yes. Yes is a yes. But well, I think you could put Clintonism to bed, but I don't want to, I, I never like to write anybody's political obituary before actually they've, they've hung it up because, you know, plenty of people try and come back. Look at Evan Bayh trying to, you know, re reclaim his Senate seat in Indiana and which which was definitely a harbinger of, of larger trends across the Midwest. But Chuck Schumer now being the head of the party, if you will, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi is still the, is the minority leader, but Chuck Schumer is the most important Democrat now in the country. I think that that is uh, inarguable right now. A Jewish guy from Brooklyn, uh, liberal, although, you know, would not necessarily, I don't know if he runs away from the label or not. Uh, it certainly seems sometimes yes, but I, I'd say to a certain degree, Schumer can be tough to pin down. Uh, I think he was uh, forceful, although he could have been. I get, for my sake, could have been more forceful in reaction to Kerry's speech uh, this week in regard to the UN. But um, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, but he definitely was, you know, speaking up. And uh, whereas a lot of uh, a lot of Democrats took a dive on that one. Unfortunately, I think that you know we'll we'll talk about that you know as, as far as that hurts the party. But Schumer is now is a constant. He's a deal maker, right? He's a guy who gets stuff done, who likes to say the government works. But you would think that there might be a strategy for the Democrats looking at Trump and saying, you know, this guy can't handle the job. We're going to just watch him implode and we're just going to go ahead. And I'm not saying it's a good uh, it's a good strategy, but there were the Republicans in the strategy when Obama got elected. We will we will impede. We will counter. We will allow him to get nothing done uh, at any level. And uh, back in 2008 when that happened and to some degree that was 
that happened. He Obama really had very few legislative achievements aside from Obamacare, which is a pretty big one. That's a big one. Very big one. But uh, few legislative achievements. Does Schumer, who likes to get stuff done, you know, how does he now approach this situation where there are a lot of Democrats who are angry? So, so let me take it a, a step back. I mean, this idea, you know, Chuck Schumer is who he is. I don't think he hides it. I don't think he no. denies it. What I would say and he's is, very good at being who he is. Well, that's, he that's doesn't exactly try and be anybody point. else. You know, when, which when a lot he, of a lot of politicians think that a lot of people think that certain politicians try and be other people. No, just the opposite. I mean, look, which goes back to what we started this conversation is is that you know people in in in, in upstate counties in New York they don't you know to some extent they just don't care. It's more important to them to make sure their roads are paved, they have the infrastructure money, that 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 their libraries are open, that their factories are, are running, and that people have jobs and their families are safe and the middle class is growing. Then they do, you know, they care more about those things on a local level than they do about the biggest pictures of the ideological sort of uh, desire, right? Many of them are Republican, conservative Republicans who believe in the in the conservative Republican ideology and belief, yet when it comes to their community, their family, their local life, Chuck Schumer is there to support them in that. And so they see it differently, right? I think it's about perception, the way people perceive him. I think he does a, a masterful job of, of being that voice as the leader in the Democratic Party for the country, but also being able to focus on the individual needs without putting a label on people or, in, or on communities or on counties. I think that's what's made him successful. You Can know, that resonate in places like Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan and Indiana, Ohio, places where the Democrats have lost ground. Yeah, I absolutely does. I think this is, you know, there's no person that you want leading the Democratic Party right now than, than Senator Chuck Schumer, right? He's the guy who's going to take this positive message of pragmatic government and, and bring it to the people. And by the way, that starts with hard work. I mean, it starts with your willingness and desire to, to get up early, go to sleep late, you know, and, and literally spend every Sunday press conference, Sunday press conferences will spend every waking hour fighting for every single person. And so that's not an easy thing to do. And, and unfortunately, you have, you know, we see it sadly in the newspapers, you have elected officials who don't always do the right thing, who are not working so hard on behalf of their elected officials. Chuck Schumer is a guy who is going to be a tireless fighter for the middle class, Democrats and Republicans to try and get things done. And I think, you know, we've already seen, whether it was via tweet or, or statements, you know, Donald Trump has a, has a tremendous amount of respect for, for Senator Schumer. And I think you're going to see a, a, a willingness on both parts to find ways to work together when they agree and when they don't to, to sort of hold each other accountable. Yeah, well... Well it, well, it may not take too long before the first anti-Schumer tweet comes along, but uh, I guess I guess we'll find out. I mean, Trump, even Trump has some sacred cows. There's some lines that he doesn't want to cross. You can see occasionally he has some favorites. I mean, there's, you know, I think Schumer would definitely be on the good list, uh, although you do never know when things are going to turn. Let's talk about the Democrats in Israel, because I think that this is a... Uh, certainly something at the top of everybody's minds and Obama slash Kerry hey, you want to say it's just Obama or just Kerry I don't know uh, I to me politically this was such a such a parting <laughs> a just horrible parting gift for the party uh, on, on Obama's part to leave the party uh, and on the top I'm talking about election wise political wise going into 2018 in some key uh, in some key states, Ohio, uh, uh, Florida, 
uh, where you have Democrats running for re-election who are going to now, with large Jewish populations, Pennsylvania, they might have to contend with some backlash. Now, it's not always the Jews. I'm not of the opinion that it's only the Jews who vote on Israel. In fact, I think evangelicals care more about Israel than, than, than the, I don't want to say more than the Jews, but certainly than many Jews, uh, the evangelicals are more staunch supporters of Israel. But... I think the UN resolution was unnecessary. I think the speech was beyond unnecessary. And, you know, where does that leave the Democratic Party with this perception? You know, maybe Keith Ellison now gets you know, elected the chairman. You know, this perception now that the that the Republicans have been claiming forever, and I think it's, you know, probably over the top for a long time, but they've been claiming forever that the Democrats are soft on Israel. Now we're actually seeing proof of that. So let, let's take it out of the, let's take the substance out of it for a moment and just sure. talk about how strange it is for literally three weeks left to administra- an administration to be making speeches like like John Kerry made. Right, um, totally non-constructive. It, it just you know you talk about you know sort of ending your your time as president, ending your administration, winding down, peaceful transition to make sure that the incoming administration is able to sort of pick it up and, and carry the ball, continue to carry the ball. This to me seems like a huge hand grenade. Just throw it in the middle and 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 just, you know, blow things up. Right? You know, blow up relationships, blow up, you know, years and years of established precedent, um, and just sort of make these speeches and not just, you know, you know, I I don't often watch uh, State Department speeches. You know, I, I, I just, you know, my new job is, has been very challenging and has been keeping me very busy. But I, you know, I felt compelled to watch it. And John Kerry and Secretary Kerry didn't just give a speech. I mean, he was visibly angry. I yeah. mean, anybody, and I'm no expert, and, and I'll hopefully spend some time at our psychology school <laughs> to have some of those students sort of dig in. But he was visibly angry to me. You know, and, and sort of like almost defensive. Slightly short of pounding on the table. It was it was strange for a secretary of 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 of, uh, of uh, state secretary of state to make such a speech in the beginning of an administration, let alone with right. three weeks left. Yeah, it, it was almost left to the Brits to say. Oh, by the way, Israel's your ally. It was <laughs> guys, you know, okay. shocking. It was absolutely shocking. And I, you know, I hate to say it as a, a Democrat, and I am. I'm, I, I don't like. I like. Mo- I don't shy away from the idea that I'm a Democrat. I'm. I'm baffled that how are we going to as a Democratic Party, right? And so again, ignoring the substance, which I it does. I don't think even is even worth us discussing. No. Discussing to see how that that worked. It's not even worth discussing because I think we both agree. But forget substance as a Democratic Party. No, the how, politics they they stink. It, it just it, it 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 baffles my mind. It baffles my mind. And I now I look. I I don't I don't ever pretend to to. To, to know more than any, you know, there's so many people who are, are more knowledgeable, but I don't think I, in, in all the people over the last week that I have spoken to, who I consider to be, you know, genius political minds who just don't understand it, who just simply don't get it. It's kind of a head scratcher, right? Like, like why make, why, you know, forget, again, forget the resolution because you want to say that for whatever reason they determined they don't want to veto this resolution, fine. But the speech on top, I mean, it was just, it reeked of defensive, you know, forget about everything, you know, for, for you know, we're really the best friend. You know, in politics, as an elected official, there's nothing stronger than what we call a third party validator, right? I don't want to run around telling people how great I am because it's so much better when other people talk about it. You'd rather me do it. I rather, exactly. exactly. I'd rather I, you I tell understand. people how great I am. For John Kerry to literally bang on his podium to say, we are Israel's best friends. 
there's a fundamental problem with that when you have to get up and say it yourself and the whole world is disagreeing. Well, yeah, no, that you have to do it and then you have to say, we're your best friends, but in front of everybody, we have to embarrass you. It's, 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 that's important. Look, there's, you know, we saw shades of this uh, in 2009 when the president first took over, uh, whether it was the, the Hillary Clinton State Department and certain comments that her, her, her people, um, that her spokespeople made after the Biden trip or, or after certain. And so we saw shades of right. this in a very muted way, in a very, in a very quiet way. And, and again, I think a lot of people put it on, oh, it's a new administration. They're, they're sort of getting to it. This just made no sense. Um, and and I'm, again, that's to me and, and to sort of really astute political observers who just don't understand it. Well, if you can't spin it further, I'm not even going to try. So, And this is Spin Class. This is Michael Fragan here with former Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder, Assistant Vice President for Government Relations at Yeshiva University. And we're kind of wrapping up the 2016 political year some thoughts as we go into 2017 and you know politics never takes a rest i think as as we well know we move forward always into another year another election 2017 some of the big elections uh coming up are the mayoral race in new york city but also the governor's race in new jersey which i know is of interest to many of our listeners uh i think one of the big political stories of 2016 is the precipitous fall of chris christie the polls I mean, this week had him at 19 it's uh, the 19% historic low for any governor ever polled it's and this is a guy who was literally flying high at the top of his game the the number one he was the head of the rga he was looking to run for 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 president then he was you know trump and he got in early and now he's been left out of Trump land. Uh, it's just, it's just there. There doesn't seem to be anything that could pot, that has gone right for Chris Christie over the course of 2016. You know, there's certain things in politics that you simply can't control on your own. As an elected official, there's certain outside influences and things that happen that you can't control, and and then you have uh, you have decisions to make. You know, how do you handle it and how do you deal with it? And you know, I can tell you, as you know, when I represented my district a year into my term, you know, Hurricane Sandy came. And so that for me was, okay, I can either go run. And that was great for Chris Christie. Well, I can either run and hide or I can can get up and deal with it and, and, and sort of assume that position. I think Governor Christie has been hit with issue after issue, item after item. And not only... Did that item hurt him? But he handled it wrong, right? He didn't. He didn't. You know whether he truly understood what was happening and, and how to best message and or deal with it. He has just made every wrong move. You know over the last six eight months, it's just baffling. And it, it is bad for a guy who was considered amongst the most gifted politicians in in the country. It's, he was one of those again, sort of that. I, idea. I, I, hate, I hate to knock a guy when he's dead. I really yeah. do. It's, it's a, but it's it's. I think as a story, it needs to be looked at to just even think about where he was and where he's ending the year. Uh, and there was say, and and there was almost that lifeline coming from the another, Trump campaign. Another great uh, example and test case for our Furkoff School of Psychology. I think <laughs> like it, it just doesn't make any sense. And I am one of those shameless plug once yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was a a, a, a closet uh, Chris Christie supporter on some on some level. I mean, I just appreciated his willingness to say what had to be said, yeah, do slay what the to sacred cows in politics. You know, where people right? right. And that's not that's those those. People like that and, and with personalities, they're not easy to come by. And all of a sudden, just sort of from riding high to literally 19% this week was just uh, it was just fascinating. And, and 
quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know what where, when the switch turned, but all of a sudden, just could not make a good decision. Right. So let let's talk about New York for a second in governorship. We'll talk about Albany since you recently left, and now you get yourself out. And I know you know you might be barred uh, from talking about you know certain things, but I think also Governor Cuomo leaves 2016 somewhat weakened compared to where he where he started. Uh, I don't think it's a you know it's not uh, it's not a knock on him necessarily, but there were some forces within his administration and even outside his administration. I think he made a big mistake by with the legislative pay commission uh, in 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 nixing that. Um, the Albany legislators will once again not get a raise for at least another two years. I think that hurts people. Uh, so I think that Cuomo will have a challenging year ahead. Yeah, and I'm excited uh, as we move forward. Uh, if you'll have me back, I'm excited to talk <laughs> about sort of as the legislature and the legislative session begins this week, and and will play on for the next six. He months. won't even be given a speech this year before the legislature. He will not. And I, you know, look, I I would say is I served uh, alongside over the last five years. I've served in the state legislature with some of the hardest working, dedicated, enthusiastic, energetic uh, elected officials that I've ever seen and ever known. Uh, you know. Most of my colleagues are are just amazing public servants who want to do good work for their constituents. And sadly, as we read in the newspapers, all too often, and lately you're seeing it more, that there is some bad apples that are that that spoil it for the bunch. You know, unfortunately, sometimes you know everybody gets in New York. Painted. You might be able to say there was a bad barrel, a bad there was a there was a bad <laughs> couple, and unfortunately, everybody gets painted with this brush and. It's easy to look at things like the pay raise. Well, nobody wants the raise. Well, I think the the perception for how hard our elected officials work um, is 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 really just not out there. We need to do a better job. You know, in my in my district, as I I worked in the neighborhoods before I resigned, people said to me all the time, "You need to get a raise. You need to get a raise." And so I think, you know, it goes because they were to, only talking about you. Well, I you know I think it goes back to that same that same thing that same idea where people like their own legislators but don't like the legislature, right? And so I think that there's a, a perception problem. But the only way to fix that problem, and I know we're we're running out of time, and we're going to talk about this. The only way to fix that problem is to find ways to work together, right? Nobody wants to see the governor and the mayor fighting. Nobody wants to see the governor and the legislature fighting. Nobody wants to see the Democrats and the Republican fighting. People are sick and tired of it. How do we fix this problem? You find ways to work together. Okay, so we're gonna fo- we're gonna follow up with this in a no- subsequent episode. But uh, rapid fire question: Will Mary Bill De Blasio have a serious Democratic challenger in 2017? Yes or no? No. Okay, you heard it here. This is Spin Class. I'm wrapping up another Thursday morning of political talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. Thanks for joining us.